Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV, powered by Harrington Star, global leaders in financial technology recruitment. Head over to harringtonstar.com where you'll be able to see some of the greatest jobs in financial technology recruitment across the world. You'll also be able to find a host of insight to help you grow your brand, your team, your network and your career. You can see the latest financial technology salary survey. You'll be able to download the issue of the financial technologist focusing on the appetite for disruption. And our latest top 1% workplace awards will be out at the end of this year. If you work for a company that's a great place to work in financial technology, we want to hear from you. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you soon. Hello and welcome to our episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today we are here in New York live for Fintech Connect North America. And I'm absolutely delighted to be here with Steve Coleman. How are you? I'm great, Toby. How are you today? Absolutely brilliant, thanks. And look, listen, thanks for coming on and joining us. You're on a panel later on, which we'll be talking about in a bit. How's the day been so far for you over here? Day's been great. No travel plans, lots of good networking opportunities. Life is good. What's not to love? What's not to love? So Verabank, we've just been talking about a little bit beforehand. Seems like you guys are doing some, some fantastic things. We're going to dive into all that in a minute as well. Uh, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. So for me, so I'm the head of compliance at Varro Bank. My journey to Varro really starts with an ongoing love of the internet. So, you know, I'm old enough to remember life before the internet. So I remember the very first purchase I ever made was an eBay purchase. I, my father had given me a liquor bottle that was commemorative of the 1960s election. And he gave me, as is befitting it, the... Republican liquor bottle. Okay. I, as a kid, always wanted the Democrat one, so I had been looking and looking and looking for it. I went on eBay, and in 30 seconds, I found one. A very nice woman from Oklahoma sent it to me for $6.95, including shipping, and a love was born. So I kept that throughout my career, so I ended up you know, I started as a lawyer, but I ended up going to Capital One during the dot-com era, yeah, yeah. and we were doing a lot of fintech startup work at that point before people even called it fintech yeah and then i spent time you know at freddie mac and at e-trade which was had also was more like an aging fintech but yeah, it had yeah. been one of the first online brokerage and that travels took me to revolut and out of varo where i run compliance for them as we try to build out a digital bank it's a hell of a story right yeah it's been a great ride and talk to me about Varro. So, so you're there at the moment, and uh, and, and tell us a little bit where you fit into what is quite a busy ecosystem, right? right. There's a lot of bit of places there disrupting the, the the banking industry. We've heard about it already on some of the keynotes today. Right. It's a hot subject. How do you guys stand out? Well, I mean, we really stand out because we're trying to disrupt the banking industry from the inside. We are, we're the first all digital, native digital bank chartered by the OCC with a bank license. So we have a full US bank license to offer customers. We're really focused as a customer base on folks that are on, underbanked or in some ways overbanked because they have too many accounts. And so we've worked to design a product set that fits for them. And if you think about our customer base, they're sort of the majority of the folks in the U.S. that live paycheck to paycheck. Right? Yeah. They're friends, family members that are short of cash sometimes. Right? They might not have enough to meet their bills. Inflation has hurt them, low wages. 
They might have a medical emergency or some un unexpected expense. So Varro's there to try to have a set of products to help them build wealth over time. And we're doing that within a banking charter, which also gives them a safety factor around their money that we think is a real competitive advantage and Absolutely. good for us, but also good for our customer base. And is this what drew you to the business yourself as well, to look at that? And yeah, I think that underbank world is a, is a yeah, really fascinating space. And the bank, yeah, the whole yeah, this concept of banking for good is something there where we can see an industry and actually do a hell of a lot more with it and make it a better place for us to do it. That must be something which is... Yeah, I mean, the, the mission of Aro very much drew me. I've always been and, and done some nonprofit work to try to help folks build wealth. So if you think, when I think about it, the first level of the social safety net is just do you have a place to live and enough to eat. That's a very important level. But then the next level is do you have enough money to handle day-to-day -day expenses, to handle the little things that might come up, your water heater breaks, your car breaks exactly. down. Yeah. And so many folks don't have that level of safety yeah. and that level of security that comes with having a little bit of savings. And so the mission of Aro to try to help people make that next jump from paycheck to paycheck yeah. to a point that they feel a little bit more secure around their finances and can handle what life throws them yeah. is a big energizer for me and very much what Varo is about as an institution. Well, we see that a lot at the moment, don't we? We're seeing a lot of people under enormous pressure with cost of living increases. We're seeing a lot of volatility out in the market for its full stop. And there's a lot of worry and a lot of concern. And I think that the businesses, as you say, who've got a mission about that to improve that scenario, I think it's a really compelling piece to be putting out the marketplace at Warren. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we, we also think in the chaos that we've seen over the last year, whether it's, you know, the big, some of the insolvencies at the crypto firms or with yeah, some sorry. of the fintechs, there's also a safety of doing your banking with a, a regulated bank. And so for us, we're you know, tightly overseen by the OCC, which is making sure that we stay sound, that we stay in business, but also customers' deposits are FDIC insured through the entire life cycle. When you start looking at, you know, some of the payment companies, some of the fintech companies that get into the U.S. market through a, a partnership with banks, there are situations where the money's insured, there are situations where the money's not insured. So for a customer, your, your penny and you're trying to make it day to day, you're really busy, you got a lot of things going on, really hard to figure out if your money's safe. You come to a bank like Varo, you know your money's safe, but you don't have to give up the innovation that has come the digital era, right? We are a natively digital bank. There's a great online experience through the, through the apps or through the websites, and the products are really designed for what the customer wants, but designed to be delivered digitally. I think that's so important, isn't it? Because that, that to me is where there's a big, such a big opportunity at the moment, with, uh, with people who look at the marketplace and think, right, there's the traditional banks and just still get that potentially undervalued experience and for this you know digital native businesses that are coming through and rethinking that customer experience it's so important to be able to do it particularly when you're talking about things as important as i think the underbank sector and everything we're talking there with, with security and helping people to think forward and think responsibly commercial you mentioned as well that your background's compliance you come from a legal background before that we're at a time of I guess right. unprecedented right. regulation right. everywhere yeah. tell us you know, from a u.s perspective where i think we've probably seen you know 
there's so many different states with so many different regulations. We see so much many more things coming through, particularly with the, you know, the advancements in digital assets alongside that as well. Tell us what people should be looking out for in yeah, the regulatory states in the US at the moment. Yeah, so if you think about regulation in the US, and I know it'll feel very different to the Europeans out there or to folks from Asia or otherwise, it's a very decentralized environment. Mm -hmm. So the first thing folks have to understand is there are many different sources of power and each of that source of power is important. So you, know, you may have federal regulators that you're dealing with, with the banking regulators or with the securities regulators, but the state regulators are also really important. The other piece though that's evolved in the US that in my opinion, is a little unfortunate compared to much of the rest of the world, is the U.S. regulators have taken an approach of slow in terms of opining on new technology. Mm. And so they've let other places, the U.K., Singapore, you would see they've more directly taken on whether it's Bitcoin or AI and spoken directly around their expectations or whatever. That hasn't happened in the U.S. Mm. And I think what that means for a business environment is you have to get used to a level of uncertainty yeah. and it can play out different ways. There are places historically where the rules have come around to match what's already evolved in the marketplace. So I'm old enough to remember when online contracts were brand new, it took the, the lawyers five or six years to get comfortable with a click agreement on a contract mm -hmm. long after it was widely used in the marketplace. Yeah. So that's a place where the market, the rules came around and met the marketplace. But we also can be aware of a number of situations where the rules don't bend, they ultimately force the market to bend with them. Yeah, yeah. So most of your listeners are gonna be familiar with what's going on in crypto in the US. Clearly at this point now, Everyone is having to bend their business model around whatever you can figure out being the U.S. rules. And this is a really interesting thing for me because, um, yeah, we've been speaking about whether the U.S. is starving out crypto innovation right. and digital assets. And, uh, and as you say, yes. look, there are other countries. Uh, the U.K. government has just literally got behind it to try and make it a global center for DeFi and, and, and really pushing it further forward. And I wonder, actually, when you, when you look at the U.S. as to whether... It's, it's, a, it's an amazing just in juxtaposition for me because there's some real powerhouses of financial technology that fintech that come out from the US. But at other stages, it's almost like it's it's been suppressed in, in other times as well. Even the way that, that people pay over here at certain stages as well, I think is really interesting. So I think, hopefully, I hope you agree with me, but there's a real need for the US government, I think, and, and every part of regulation to, to continue to be competitive and make it, because you know, there's so much going for, for fintech in the US for the stock as well, right? I mean... I, I certainly think clearer rules would make it easier for businesses trying to operate in the U.S. Yeah. I think the reality is we're going to live in a world of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. And if you are operating in the U.S. or trying to operate in the U.S., one of the things that's going to help you win is to figure out how to best navigate that uncertainty. Yeah. And it plays out differently who you are. So yeah. if you're an incumbent with a great franchise value, you're going to be slow because though your lawyers and compliance people are going to say, we don't know, we're scared. You're going to be slow into space. So you're going to be slow off the starting gate. If you're a challenger, you're going to be faster out of the starting gate because you don't have the same franchise to protect. But if you're a startup, you also have to realize that the rules that apply to you when you're small, so your Series B 
no one's really paying attention to you. Well, ultimately, you'll ultimately, as you get bigger and try to scale, have to figure out how to deal with the rules. So both paths are different, but driving a strategy to deal with the uncertainty becomes the key for success in the U.S. And it would be great if the regulators gave more guidance in some of these yeah. areas, but I think the reality is, and businesses have to deal with the uncertainty day to day, and I don't see any indication that that's going away in the, in the near future. Yeah, yeah it's uh, get really get comfortable being uncomfortable, I think it's a message from that, right? Exactly, exactly, and we can hope for something different, but we have to deal with the cards that are dealt us, absolutely. and in the US, that's uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's finish coming back to your FinTech Connect today. So, so tell us what drew you guys to this, uh, to this event. Well, I mean, for me, first of all, it's great to be part of an event that's both US focused, but also is thinking more broadly because it, a lot of the really important innovation is happening in the US, but a lot of the innovation is happening outside the US. So the event gives a chance to have cross-pollination between that and to meet and understand what folks are working on across really the entire world and across a number of financial sort of geoverticals in a way that's really great and not served by a bunch of other conferences that tend to be more focused in their space. Yeah, I think it's always been a great, um, you know, great event as far as a run. The same in the, the one in Europe is that. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting tracks, a lot of interesting conversations. So please, you see that as well. Let's um, and, to, and you're, you're speaking later on. You've got a panel which you're, which you're uh, which you're sat on. Give us a sneak preview about some of the things that, that you were talking about in that for what we can expect to be hearing from you. Got it. So we're talking about reg tech and automation in the regulatory space. So we're thinking about how companies are starting to use automation, both in terms of interacting with the regulators, but also in, ter in terms of serving customers. And for me, what you know, my insight there is what we already talked about a little bit, which in the U.S. things are slow, so you're going to deal with uncertainty and you're gonna deal with skepticism. So you're gonna find regulators who aren't gonna be convinced just because something seems new and shiny or more efficient, they're gonna to wanna to see it. So as these new technologies roll out, companies are gonna to have to work with strategies to bring their regulators along. So they may at times need to run the technology in parallel with a human process. Uh, there's a recent example around AI where an AI credit model and the way a credit model works, it doesn't have clear reasons for its answer. It's more complicated than that. The U.S. regulators have been very clear, though, the, rule, the rules that require you to give a reason for denying someone a loan stay and you have to deal with those rules. So people are now building models to explain what the other model is doing to satisfy the regulatory requirement. I think those kind of compromises are part of where we're headed with the regulators. And I think the other big places AI really comes on the scene is there will be a big discussion about when AI can replace a human. So I think we see lots of places I'm where- this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're gonna see lots of places where there's skepticism. In fact, you know, there's a recent settlement with Bank of America where they had it wasn't even an AI-driven model, but where they had an algorithmic-driven model making some decisions around credit card disputes, and they ended up getting fined $235 million because of those decisions. Wow. We all know that humans make mistakes too, but we'll see 
everyone will have to get comfortable with that. And so when I think about AI coming out, whether it's in the call center or otherwise, in a regulated space, I think people need to understand that there's huge lift in using AI to help inform that decision, but actually making the decision is a jump that's probably several years still off, at least in the US, yeah. in the highly regulated space. Well, no, I'm going to be poking my head around the door and watching that one. I look forward to the conversation. And uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us a little bit more about you in the bank. For those who, who want to follow up and find out a little bit more, I can assume they can find you on LinkedIn. They can, Steve Perlman. Fantastic. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks Thank for joining you, us today. And good luck great. later on. I look forward to hearing more about it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you all for watching. We'll see you on the next episode of FinTech Focus TV. Bye for now.